And would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1158, Ephesians chapter 4, page 1158. Every church, every church should be a growing church. Any church that is seeking to be faithful to the Bible, that is seeking to be faithful to the gospel and to Jesus, that will be a growing congregation. Um, Things that are alive grow. And if we are alive with Christ and if we're alive with his Holy Spirit, we will be growing. Uh, That being said, uh, the next question is, well, what do you mean by a growing church? Growth in what sense? What is biblical growth? And that's what I want to talk about with this uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. We're going to put the uh, the, uh, sermon on John on pause for two Sundays and look at this theme of growth. It seems kind of a fitting thing to do. Here we are, New Year. We're after Labor Day. I've always felt that uh, the New Year should start uh, right after Labor Day because it kind of feels like that's when the year starts. Uh, If you have kids or grandkids, kids are going back to school uh, the routine is starting. The patriots are starting. You know, it's, it's life. Everything is starting. It's great. Um, and, and so in, in the church, too, we, everything is launching. The ministries are starting up. Um, we, we have these growth groups. Uh, Godwin was up here interviewing Alan and Vanessa and talking about uh, these growth groups. You know, you got this brochure in your bulletin. But, but what, is, what does that mean, a growth group? Like, what, what, what are we talking about when we're saying becoming a growing church and that I believe all churches that are biblical churches should be growing. Growth in what sense? I'm going to think about that with you. And so this Sunday and next we're going to do that. And today I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, a passage very much about church growth, but perhaps not the kind of church growth you had considered. Um, I'm going to read verses 7 to 16. And as you follow along while I'm reading it, here's what I want you to be doing. I'd like you to be looking for growth language in this passage and when you find it, if you, assuming you find it, ask yourself, what kind of growth is Paul describing? So see if you can find it, and if you find it, ask what kind is it, and then we'll unpack it. So let me, I'll just read this, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you find the growth language in there? Were you, were you picking up on some of it? Um, but, but before we look at that growth language, let me just, uh, this might be helpful, give you a super-duper oversimplification of the book of Ephesians, since we're here in Ephesians and we haven't been in Ephesians recently. But uh, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century A.D., to a group of Christians living in Ephesus, which would be on the west coast of what we call today Turkey uh, in Asia Minor. And Paul wrote them this letter, and uh, again, super-duper oversimplification. Chapters 1 through 3 are a description of the incredible gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. That because Jesus died for us and rose again, because we have forgiveness of sins in him, this is what it is. Uh, you, you know, it's being saved from death to life, from darkness to light. It's what God has done for us in Christ. So if you uh, want to get amped up about your salvation, if you want to be reminded of the incredible thing that Jesus has done for you, you need to go back sometime this week and read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Just kind of read through it this week. It'll fire you up again, just make you stand in awe of your salvation. All right, chapters 4 through 6 then are, oversimplifying here, about what we do as a result of our salvation, how saved people live. Because of what Jesus has done for us, this is now the new life that we live in him that flows out of that salvation. So chapter 4, verse 1, here's the hinge. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about the calling. Chapter 4, now we're going to live worthily of it. And it's in that context of urging saved people to live a worthy life that we get all this growth talk. That part of living worthily of our salvation is that we're growing up into Christ. So did you find the growth language? Did you see it in the passage? There's a little bit in verse 13. Uh, actually, verse 12. Uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's not quite growing. That's the metaphor of carpentry or building or something. But, you know, Paul, he's not averse at mixing metaphors. <laughs> averse to mixing metaphors. So he's, it's growing. It's building up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and uh, the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So there's the language of maturation, growth. Or verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, what? Grow up into him who is the head. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds. So there's, uh, there's wonderful mixing of metaphors. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the growth language comes at the end of the section. Now, what kind of growth are we talking about? What sort of growth does Paul assume saved people will be experiencing and pursuing? And I guess the best way to sum it up would be it's growth in Christ, growth into Christ, growing up into Christ. Again, look at the language. Uh, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're, so we're growing up into the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So maturity is about knowing Him. And then he says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's Paul just kind of blowing the, blowing the walls out on the language. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Or again, verse 15, we're growing up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So he's calling these saved people, these Christians, to grow up into Christ. He's pointing them toward Jesus. He's he's challenging them toward Jesus. I, I feel like as I read this that Paul, with his words, it's like he's trying to scoop them up and deadlift them and cling and jerk them and then kind of military press them up into Christ. Like, I'm just going to get underneath you and I'm going to shove you up into Jesus so, so that you might grow up into him and mature. And his whole life is this labor and all of his writing and praying is this labor to mature them and kind of spiritually muscle them up into Jesus so that they might grow up to be in Christ. So what does that mean then? What does it mean to grow up into Christ? What does that mean to be built up into Christ? Obviously, those are metaphors. But so what, what's it describing? What's the idea? And th- this is how I would summarize it. I would say that growing up into Christ means knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus because you know him and doing that together as a body. So to grow up into Christ is to know Jesus and as a result of knowing him, becoming like him in his reflecting his character and not just me doing that privately, but us doing that together as the whole body of Christ. Look back at our text. Look at the emphasis on knowing Jesus there in verse 13. Reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So maturity is integrally connected to knowing the Son of God. Interesting, you step back from our passage and you look at Ephesians more broadly and you see this theme in Ephesians that Paul wants them to know Jesus more. Ephesians is a cool letter because there's a couple places in Ephesians where Paul writes down these prayers for the Ephesians. It's like he says, hey, look, I've been praying for you guys. Let me tell you what I've been praying about. So you get one of those in chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1, verse 16. Here's one of the famous Ephesian prayers. Verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I've been praying for you. What's he been praying? Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what? So you may know him better. I think about all the things we, we pray for each other for in the church. Good things to pray for work and health and family issues. But, you know, Paul, his, at the number one of his uh, prayer list was, Lord, may they know you more. I want them to know Christ. Or go to chapter 3. Here's another Ephesian prayer, chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So another wonderful Trinitarian prayer, asking the Father through the Spirit to cause them to know Christ, that Christ would dwell in them. And it's like, wait a minute, he's writing to Christians. Don't they already have Christ in them? Yeah. So what's he talking about? It's a way of, of saying, you know, you need more of an experience of Christ. You need to know Him more. And then he goes on, and then again, he just kind of launches into orbit here and blows all the walls off the prayer. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. It's, it's all together. It's not just me personally. 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's like, there's so much more of Jesus you need to know. His love is, it goes so much further than you've ever gone. His love is so much deeper than however deep you've ever sunk. His love is so much higher than you've ever imagined and dreamed. It's, it's so much wider than you can reach. The love of Christ shed for us uh, and, and demonstrated for us on the cross is so eternal. You need to know more and more of His love. Then he says there in verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's like, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I don't know. It's, it's just so big that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he gets into this exalted language. There's so much of Christ to know. We'll spend all eternity in heaven trying to get to the bottom of Jesus and knowing him more. And we won't, we'll never get there. You know, I love that about long-term relationships, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friendship, whether it's maybe your parents. Just you spend time with someone year after year, and you get to know them more, more, just more to know. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. We're called to know him and savor him. And as that, that happens, we become like him. We, we're, we're changed. The more we know Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more we don't want to sin and the more our lives become holy. And that's a process of sanctification and purification in our lives. It reminds me of Moses in the Old Testament. You guys know the story. Moses hung out with God in that tent. He'd go out into the tent. He'd walk in and it said that Moses spoke with the Lord as a man speaks with his friend face to face. They had the relationship. And you remember when Moses would come out of the tent? What did he look like? Remember? A shining face. He was being transformed into the glory of the Lord. And Paul says that's how it's like for us as Christians. The more we grow close to the Lord, the more our character is transformed like him. Look at verse chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 20. Notice the connection here between knowing Jesus and as a result, becoming like him. You've got to know him first and then you become like him. Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So we're talking about knowing Christ. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your old self, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The selfish Jeremy, the the egotistical Jeremy, the gossipy Jeremy, the unforgiving, bitter Jeremy, the unself-controlled Jeremy, that, that godless way of living that I am by nature that we all are, a sinful person. But Jesus has saved me. He's forgiven me. And now I'm being made new by the transforming of my mind to be made new in the attitude of your mind, verse 23. So the Holy Spirit has changed us. His Word is washing our minds. Verse 23 and two, or 24, to put on the new self. So now I'm becoming like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as we be- know Jesus, we start to reflect His humility we start to reflect his obedience, his holiness, his righteousness. And that's the Christian life, is putting off the old, putting on the new, because we know him, because he saved us. And, and I think that's important, by the way, if you're kind of new to the Christian faith or trying to figure it out. One of the mistakes people often make with Christianity is they think that the point of Christianity is just to try to be a better person. You know, Jesus is my role model. I'm going to be like Jesus. He's a good guy. You know, what would Jesus do? He did it. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to make myself better, and he's my example. 
The problem is you can't make yourself good enough for God. We start by realizing we can't improve ourselves in God's sight, that we are sinful people, and we need a Savior. And it's as we put our faith in Christ who died for our sins that we're saved, we're born again. And then once we're born again, we now begin to grow up into Him, and we become like Him because we know Him first. So you come to know Christ, and then you're growing up in Him, and we do that together as a body. And so that's what it means. That's the kind of growth Paul assumes is taking place for Christians, is that we're growing up into Jesus, that we're more and more wanting to know Him, we're more and more becoming like Him, that there's a desire to reflect His glory and to know His person, and through Jesus to know all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 17, we'll get there eventually in John, this is eternal life, that they may know the Father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's eternal life is knowing him. So why is it then, here's a mystery, why is it then that I am so laissez-faire about my own spiritual growth sometimes? Why do I seem so unconcerned when I'm spiritually stalled out? Why doesn't it bother me enough when I'm not pressing on to know Jesus more or when I'm just comfortable with sin or unchristlikeness in my life and I just kind of let it ride and I say, well, you know, it's just me. Yeah, I've always been like that. Ah, it's just my family. It's my personality. Why am I so satisfied with that? I'm not satisfied with lack of growth in other areas of my life. You know, I, I want physical growth. I want our bodies to grow. If you have children or grandchildren, you know, you want them to grow. I, uh, when I was in kind of junior high-ish age, I, I wasn't quite growing fast enough like the other kids. And uh, it, it turned out in high school I was just a late bloomer. But, you know, my parents were worried. So they took me to a, I don't know, endocrinologist or something. And, you know, I was like, is Jeremy's body working right? Is he growing? You know, people like ask me, like, did you play football in high school? I'm like, I would have been the football um, in high school. <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. But, you know, my parents are worried. Is he growing? Is his body, are the glands turning on? Are all the things working right? Um, maybe you've had a kid who's had developmental delays. You've had kids with special needs. What do you do when your kid has delays? Whew, get him to the specialist. Get on it. Get him in a program. Figure out what's wrong how to treat it, how to support the kid, talk to the teachers in school, make sure the teachers have the, the help to make an you know, individual plan for the kid. I mean, you, just, you do everything you can because you're supposed to grow. You know, we want our finances to grow. It's you know, been a tough couple years for, for us. You know, people have seen their, their houses values not grow but shrink. It's like, I, I don't want to be a multimillionaire. I just want my house to be worth more than my mortgage, you know, that kind of thing. People are, are concerned to see their savings in their retirement shrink rather than grow. And so there's concern about that. We, you know, what does it take to get my finances to grow? For crying out loud, we get bummed out if our plants don't grow. Like, I bought this hydrangea from you, and it's totally, it's not doing anything. Like, what do I need? Do I need to buy something? What do I do? We have gardening shows. Like growing, we want, we want it to grow the way it's supposed to. Why are we so unconcerned with our lack of spiritual growth? Why is it that if I haven't talked to the Lord in prayer for weeks or months, that isn't like 
a red light on my spiritual dashboard saying, you're not even talking to God. How can I not know him? How is it if I haven't cracked my Bible, you know, for months besides when Jeremy says, open to page 1158, you know, why am I not like, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I have things to tell you because I want to know you, either individually or as a church. We're not doing that, and it doesn't bother us. How is it that I can just let certain sinful habits in my life and areas of spiritual immaturity just go on week after week and year after year, and I'm like, oh, whatever, it's just how I am. It's just me. (laughs) Love me or leave me. Uh, You know, it's like, no, grow, grow. We're called to grow, and we can grow. Why doesn't it bother us? I was so encouraged uh, right before I left for the sabbatical. It was, I think it was like May, and I was in like a total frenzy of last minute getting everything ready. You know how it is for you go on a big trip. You're trying to nail, you know, make every, get everything nailed down, get all these people up here who preach, make sure they're all in line and doing everything I could. I was just in a flurry. And, uh, it, and a, a member of our church was like, hey, can I just get together with you? I want to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, I don't really have time. I don't know how to do this, but I'll, I'll do it. And the, the fellow came in. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to say his name or embarrass him, but he's one of our seasoned citizens in the church, one of our old saints. And um, so he sat down. I'm like, all right, you know, what, what is it? You know, I've got to go get a sabbatical here. He's like, Pastor, I am not satisfied with my prayer life. I want to become a deeper man of prayer. And you're like, Okay, <laughs> reprioritize everything. This is important. You know, I was so honored by that because the reality is the man's been walking with the Lord longer than I've been physically alive, and I should be going to him being like, could you teach me to pray? Especially after I prayed with him. I was like, wow, this guy really prays. But uh, that was so awesome to hear somebody that, that you look to and say, ah, yeah, he's, he's there, saying, I want more. I want to pray more. I want to know prayer deeper. I want to beseech the Lord more. And I can't wait to get together with him now that I'm back just to hear what the Lord's doing in his life. Is that just so awesome? We all need to keep growing together as a body. So how do we do it? How do you grow? What do you do? Where's the specialist you go to? You know, what do you do? Maybe you're hearing this and saying, like, I really do want to grow. Yeah, there are things in my life you know, I, I would love to see change. Yeah, I, I don't walk with the Lord closely. I, I'm not satisfied with that. Maybe I'm, I'm preaching this and the Lord's been convicting you this prior week about this topic. And it's one of those, you come to church Sunday and, ah, the pastor's in my head. But really, it's just the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to grow. And maybe there's something at work in your life. So how do we, how do we grow? How does it happen? Well, to answer that, we have to look back at this text and what we see is that the answer lies kind of in the front half of the text. So the, the growth part's in the second half of the text, but how we grow is in the front half. So let me do this. Let me, let me summarize what I think this text says about how we grow, and then I'll take you through the passage and show you kind of how I got this summary. That, that might be a better way to do it. So uh, here's the summary. We grow up into Christ as Jesus himself pours out maturing grace into us through the conduit of his body, the church. That we grow up into Christ as Jesus 
first pours out maturing grace into us to strengthen and grow us up through the conduit of his church, and I should add, as the church speaks the truth in love. So as the church is speaking the truth in love and the church is being the church, God's maturing grace is growing us up. All right, so let me show you this in the passage. So it starts with Jesus. We grow because Jesus helps us grow. Isn't that weird? We, We grow to Jesus, but we're also growing from Jesus. He's the source of it, and he's also the goal. It's right there in verse 15. We need to grow up into him, the head. Verse 16, from him the whole body grows. So we grow to him, but we're also growing from him. He's the source, and he's the goal of our growth. Uh, You see it again in verse 7. Go back to the very top of the chapter. Sorry, the top of the section, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ is giving grace. He's the one who gives us the grace to grow up into him. It's not something we muster ourselves. He, he supplies it and dispenses it. Then you get these cool verses in uh, verses 8 to 10 that describe this giving of grace. Look at verses 8 to 10. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So I, I wish I had like another 45 minutes just to dive into verses 8 through 10. They're so cool, but I don't. So I'm going to try to super summarize it. But basically, verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. And in that psalm, it's a description of God as a conquering king. God has gone down, fought his enemies. He's beaten them. He's taken all the plunder. And then God comes back to the capital in victory, and he takes all the plunder, and he distributes the plunder to his followers. And so Paul takes that verse, and he applies it to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is God. He's descended to fight the battle. He went to the cross. He rose again. He beat all my enemies, my sin, the judgment I deserve for my sin, settled at the cross, Death itself beaten at the resurrection. Satan beaten at the cross. He has done it. He is the victor. And he's ascended to heaven. He rose from the dead and he ascended back to the Father's hand. And today Jesus is in heaven at the Father's hand. He is the victorious king and we're awaiting his return. But in the meantime, what's he doing? He's pouring out through the Holy Spirit into the church gifts of grace to build up the body. So now, here's Jesus giving these gifts. How do I grow up into Jesus? How do I know him more and become more like him? I can't do that. I've tried. Man, I blow it. Well, you need him. The king pouring out the grace, continuing to pour out the grace, constant installments into my grace bank account, you know, daily allowances and stipends of grace that I need to keep growing me up because I know what will happen if I don't get my daily stipend of grace just strengthening me in him. How does he do it? Through the church, as the church speaks the truth in love. Now, when I say the church, I mean two things by the church. What do I mean by church? Two things based on this passage. First of all, when I say the church, I mean through the leaders of the church, through the leaders of the church. Verse 11, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So the conquering king is giving grace to the church, and he's, what is he giving? He's giving these roles, apostles, prophets. These are the guys who founded the church. They're the foundation on which the church is built, they're the foundation layers. But then you have evangelists who are going out telling people the gospel. We're all called to share the gospel, but some people have a special gifting as evangelists. And then there's pastors and teachers. So as people are being saved, they're brought into local churches. And pastor teachers are there equipping people and feeding people. And so Jesus is giving maturing grace through those people. And and what do the leaders of the church do? Why do they do what they do? Verse 12, they prepare God's people for works of service. So they're training and equipping and giving you what you need to go out and do works of service so that, what? The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach maturity. So the the point of the work of the leaders of the church is to help mature the church. And what is it that the leaders are supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be teaching the Word of God and loving the people. You know, it's down there in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up. Isn't it interesting? Look at all of those leaders listed in verse 11. What do they all have in common? They all teach the Word of God. The apostles proclaim the gospel. Prophets speak God's Word in a prophetic fashion. The evangelists proclaim the gospel. Pastors and teachers, they're all Word guys. God's leaders are always feeders of God's people. And so that's their job is to love the people and to feed them the Word of God. And that's how you grow is is as Jesus' leaders that he's given to his church do their job right, which is to feed you the Word and to love you. And and that's one of the conduits through which you're going to grow up in your faith. Now, granted, the leaders have to be teaching the Word. They have to be loving the people. Uh, if they're not doing that, it doesn't matter whether it's someone's got a reverend in front of their name or not. It doesn't mean a darn thing. <laughs> if they're not teaching God's Word and loving the church, you know, it's the Word of God that raises up, not somebody's seminary degree. So the leaders need to be faithful to the Word of God. I know a pastor who went to a church and he's getting to know the leaders there and he's starting to talk to the moderator and moderator is pretty, pretty plain that uh, he was an atheist. You know, this is a problem <laughs> to have an atheist leading a church. Wow, there's not going to be as much growing up into Christ going on when the leaders of the church don't even confess that he is the Son of God and the Savior. So that has to happen. So real quick applications, then I'll move to the last point. Real quick applications, though. There's an application here for leaders. If you're a leader in God's church, remember your main goal is to help grow up the saints into maturity. It's not to have a little fiefdom It's not to build your own little spiritual empire. It's not to be the big fish in the small pond. It's to join Paul with helping people, grabbing people, lifting people through the Word of God and through love up into Christ and joining that that effort of military pressing people up into Jesus so that they grow and become more like Him and know Him. That's what our job is. It's not to run an organization necessarily or to, to keep programs spinning perfectly, although those are useful, important things. But ultimately, it's those programs are there to serve the people. It's all there to help push and lead the people closer to the Lord. And there's a word in there for, for the church too, and that is 
If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to mature, you've got to be a part of a church where there are, you know, God-given leaders who teach the Word of God faithfully and love the people. Otherwise, you won't grow, or your growth will be weird or lopsided or imbalanced, or, you know, it'll be a sort of bizarre sort of growth. It, it needs to be healthy growth, and, and that's part of the plan for that. And, and you know, that's tough, because I know some folks have had bad experience in churches. Um, some people have been in churches where they weren't taught the Word, or they weren't loved well, or weren't led well, and that can happen. Even in good churches, that happens. You know, it's just, it, we're all growing, right? And so everything's not perfect, and it's difficult. Um, you know, you hear people say sometimes things like, I haven't given up on Jesus, but I've given up on the church. And on one hand, I get it. I understand being hurt by churches. I've been a member of a church for a long time. I've been hurt. I've been hurt in this church. I've hurt people in this church. It just happens. You live together long enough, and even if you don't mean it, things happen. But you know, on the one hand, while I get it, on the other hand, how can you say you love Christ, but you don't love his church? How can you say you're committed and connected to the head, but you don't want the body? How can you say, I love the groom, but that bride, man, forget it. (laughs) How do you think the groom feels about that? You know, it's like, and besides, his plan is to use his church, assuming the leaders are doing what they're supposed to be doing, as conduits of grace into your life even imperfect as they are. God uses that. So I just encourage you to to be a part of of an actual church where there are God-appointed people who have gifts to lead and build you up. But here's the second thing I want to say, and this is the final point here, but the church is not just the leaders. The church is all the people. And the building and maturing doesn't just happen because someone preaches a sermon. It happens because the whole body works together to build itself up in love, to love itself and to speak truth and to push each other up so that we're all involved in this kind of mutual upbuilding and this mutual growing up into Christ. Look, at, look again at our text. It's the whole body. Verse 7, to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Every person here who knows Christ has been given grace to be used to build up and strengthen others in the church. Different, different talents, different abilities. Just our lives. You know, not even talents and abilities, just our wisdom, our life experiences, the things, that lessons the Lord has taught us. There are so many riches that have been deposited by Christ into the people of the church. And by getting involved with the people of the church, you can start accessing, making withdrawals on all those riches. It, it's incredible. Uh, I, I was thinking this morning, the, uh, the movie The Hobbit is coming out in December. I can't wait for this movie. Oh, love the Lord of the Rings movies. But anyway, The Hobbit's coming out. If you know The Hobbit story, one of the, the climactic, awesome scenes in that story is this big hoard of treasure that's guarded by this big dragon named Smog. And smog sleeps on this huge mountain of treasure. And, you know, that's how I feel like a, a pastor sometimes. I feel like smog. I'm, and again, I'm sitting here in this church. I'm helping to lead a church. But there's so much treasure here in all the members. And if, if you get into it and get to know people, you can access all the grace that's been stored up in the body. Or again, look at verse 12. You know, why, why do the leaders lead? To prepare God's people for works of service. 
So I lead to prepare you so that you do your gifts and your abilities to help build up the whole body. Or again, verse 16, from him, the whole body, the whole body, that's everybody in the body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. There's an argument that can be made that in this imagery, the, the ligaments refer to the pastors, teachers, evangelists, holding it together. But then the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, every part. And that work may be in a ministry. That work may just be talking to someone over coffee and encouraging them. It doesn't have to necessarily be a program. It's just the body building each other up and loving each other. That's, by the way, why we're doing these growth groups. You know, we, Godwin did an interview with the, uh, the Sues, and they talked about their experience in growth groups. We have these uh, brochures in your bulletin. And, you know, we're trying to start these groups this, this uh, fall. And the whole point of this isn't to just have a lot of activity in the church. It's to create spaces for us to experience God's grace, not just on a Sunday morning from a preacher, but in our lives as we get to know other brothers and sisters. And we try to put this into practice. So it's kind of creating venues for believers to come together and minister to each other and love each other. And, you know, as we're going through hard times, pray for each other and lift each other up. And when we have questions and doubts, to share the things we've learned in our own walks with the Lord so that you just see this dynamic, organic, crazy thing going on as the Holy Spirit is using all the body and all of the gifts and growth groups are how we do it. So that, that's why we're so excited about growth groups, not because we're trying to have a certain number of groups, but it's like we want you to be with other Christians. But here's the bottom line. If you're going to grow, if you want to grow, you've got to be with other believers in a local congregation. You've got to be members of that. If, if your spiritual growth is just listening to Charles Stanley on TV, it's going to be lopsided, weird, and imbalanced. And Charles Stanley is awesome. <laughs> Love his preaching. But that's not enough. You've got to be in a body where, where people can see you and know you and you can know them and that's how the whole body works. And growth groups is just one way we, we try to do that at South Shore Baptist. It takes a whole body working together. Let me close with a snapshot, a picture of what this looks like. It's in Acts chapter 2. Here's a little 30-second uh, YouTube clip of a church doing this, a church growing up by doing what, everything we just read about. Acts chapter 2, it's on page 1078 in the Pew Bible. At the end of the chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm going to read this little section, and what I want you to do as I read it is I want you to be looking for all the themes we just talked about. Look for... Leaders teaching the word. Look for the body loving and building itself up and fellowshipping together. Look for the word of God at work. Look for spiritual growth and maturity taking place. Look for it in, these, in this passage. So this is, again, this is like a little 30-second YouTube video of, think of it that way, of a church doing its business in the book of Acts. And you can see all these things happening. All right, here we go. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together 
and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. That's real love. That's not just talk. I mean, that's like actually caring for people. That's really cool. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They all came together for the teaching. But look what else happened. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They they were also body. It wasn't just a teaching center. They were sharing their lives, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at that last line. What came out of all this? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we will talk about that aspect of growth next Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to grow up. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. Lord Jesus, I want to want to know you. My heart is so, so dull and ours are so dull. Lord, we want to shed the old skin of sin and to be remade into the new person that Christ wants us to be. Lord, we want to change. Lord, we want to grow in holiness. We want to be like Moses, shining more and more with the glory of Christ in our lives. Lord, we want our, not just that for ourselves, but our whole church. Oh, Lord, so I, so I just pray. I, I just, through this prayer, I just want to lift this church up, Lord, and, and ask you to push it up into yourself, God, through your word. And as this body relates to each other, Lord, we want to be this kind of church. And so we pray for your grace to be poured out on this congregation. As we sang, Lord, revive us. Send your reviving spirit. We don't just pray this for ourselves. Lord, we pray for this kind of experience of church growth to take place at North River in Pembroke. We pray for this experience for First Baptist Weymouth. I pray, Lord, for this kind of experience for South Weymouth Church of the Nazarene. I pray, Lord, for Park Street Church in Boston. I I pray for New Hope Norwell. God, for all these churches, may your grace just be dumped out on them, and may they experience growth toward Christ. Lord, give us healthy churches. And, And we ask this not just for our own comfort or happiness. Lord, we ask this because... There are so many people who need Jesus on the south shore of Boston. And Lord, we just grieve the thought of your church wasting its time with unhealthiness when there's so much work to be done. And so, Lord, make us healthy and growing and give us an outward vision so that we might see daily people being added to the number of your churches as they come to faith through the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.